0: The teaching for this morning is based on Genesis chapter 16. This is God's word. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant who his name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, "Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing any children. Go into my servant, it may, it may be that I shall obtain children by her." And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring offspring, so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. And she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called, his, called the name of his son, who Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So we're continuing our, our study here of Genesis. And... Um, Just to uh, update you, if you've uh, not been following along with us, we've been uh, this year in the book of Genesis and the book of Romans, and we're going back and forth, uh, taking one chunk in each book at a time, and uh, then taking a break. But today, we are uh, back in Genesis chapter 16, and this book, as I I try to uh, tell us every week just so we can kind of reorient ourselves, it's the first book that Moses Uh, wrote to God's people as they were on the way to the promised land after being in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And usually I think we think of the idea or the Christian idea of the gospel as a New Testament idea. But part of why I want to spend time in the book of Genesis and especially the story of Abraham is that the New Testament actually says that God preached the gospel To Abraham beforehand, and this is what God said. He said, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So what I want us to be thinking as we're working our way through the book of Genesis is that Abraham's story is a good news story that leads us to Jesus. And while the whole story of the Bible is about Jesus, and it's where it's all headed... That doesn't mean that the story of the Bible is therefore simplistic. The more you read it, and the more you pay attention to the stories within it, it has many twists and turns and triumphs and tragedies, and that's as it should be. Because the Bible is a book written for people like you and me, uh, who are dealing with real life. Uh, It is not a book that attempts to somehow uh, present a a life uh, or a view of life that is devoid of the realities that you and I face even today in 2018. And so when we come to this story in Genesis chapter 16, the story of Abram and Sarai and uh, the maidservant Hagar, we encounter three people who are desperately grappling with their experience of life in light of and under the promises of God. They're trying to make sense of who this God is, who has preached good news beforehand to them in light of their circumstances. And we're going to see that here in a moment. But Abram, we've already met, as as you perhaps are aware. He's the main character in this section of the book, and he is the one that God called to leave his home when he was 75 years old, back in Genesis chapter 12, and to come to a new place, to the land of Canaan, uh, where God promises to make him a blessing, and Sarai, his wife, has been with him. And we haven't heard that much about Sarai until uh, this, this chapter, but she does make an appearance in the second half of chapter 12 when they are in Egypt because of the famine in the land of Canaan, which is actually where uh, we think that Hagar came from. Hagar is an Egyptian, and in all likelihood uh, came into Abraham's household as a maidservant while he was in Egypt prior to coming back to the promised land, the land of Canaan, as we read of in, in Genesis chapter 13. And as we come to this story, we encounter some cultural practices, as well as some personal decisions that at first I think might feel a bit removed. But what I want us to see from this passage this morning are, first of all, I want us to see what is our point of contact with the story? Second, I want us to see the temptation to strategize rather than trust. And then last, I want us to see the God who sees. So our point of contact, the temptation to strategize rather than trust, and then we'll finish with the God who sees. So first, let's look at what is our our point of contact with this story? If you notice here at the very beginning, our point of contact with Sarah and Abraham and Hagar really is when God's promises clash with your daily experience. Listen to what... Sarah says in verse 2, Behold, she's saying this to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She's barren. Uh, and a- in fact, if, if you remember from last week, uh, Abram asks a very similar question in chapter 15, verse 3. When he says to God, Behold, you have given me no offspring. Now, I want you to think for a moment here. What this passage tells us is Abram and Sarai now have lived in, in Canaan for 10 years. That means that Abram is around 85 to 86 years old. And in light of the rest of the story, we can surmise that Sarah is about 75 or 76 years old. And it's been 10 years since God called them into this new life to leave what everything they knew, and 10 years since he made this promise, that he would turn Abram and Sarai into this family of blessing that would, in fact, have blessed the whole world, and yet they are childless. And I want you to think for a moment that this is, this is a story of painful, frustrated hopes. And as you sit here this morning, I wonder where you you can relate to this story of Abram and Sarah, even though we're very far removed, whether it be your job uh, or lack of job, whether it be your marriage or lack of marriage, uh, whether it be your family, your extended family, uh, your children... Uh, your parents, uh, whether it be um, hopes for retirement or what retirement is in fact like, this is a story that describes life that doesn't go as promised or as expected. It's a story that describes the anguish and the discouragement and the disappointment when our hopes find themselves unfulfilled and in fact in proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 there's a very apt verse for this where it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick and so one of the questions i want us to wrestle with this morning is what does that sickness look like when the bible talks about our hearts becoming sick because what we long for we hope for doesn't come to pass what it What does that look like? What should we look for? And I think the simplest way to put it is what that sickness looks like is strategizing rather than trusting. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 4, he refers to this whole story in Genesis 16 as the illustration of what it looks like to turn inward on ourselves towards our own resources and our own efforts to fulfill our hopes rather than trusting in Jesus Christ, receiving God's grace. It's a story that helps us to see that the sickness of a heart whose hopes haven't been fulfilled, what that can look like, where that leads is Really, the contrast between living by faith and living by our own ideas and strategies and efforts. So let's look at what is this temptation to strategize rather than to trust? Again, look at, at, at Sarah here in verse two. After she says to to Abram, "Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children," what is the next thing she does? She hatches a plan to address this problem. And she says, Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. So here, Sarai comes up with a plan. I have this hope. And in fact, you know what? It's a hope that God gave me. And he hasn't come through on it. I am going to figure out a way to make that promise come to pass. And so she gives Abram Hagar. And this whole idea here, I realize, of surrogate motherhood. Um, There are analogs in our day and time today, but it's pretty different than um, the culture back then. And back in the days of Abram and Sarah This practice, especially for an infertile wife, was a pretty common practice in the ancient Near East, according to a wide variety of sources. And I think it's worth just highlighting that the fact that the Bible includes this practice, this situation, isn't to say that it's condoning or agreeing or supporting it. Rather, I think what it shows is that the Bible is very realistic It's not trying to give us a uh, sanctified, cleaned up version of the story. And in fact, as the story unfolds, it becomes pretty clear that this practice, this idea, this strategy doesn't go very well. And what then is though the real problem that Abram and Sarah face in this temptation to come up with an alternative strategy rather than trusting in God's promises despite what they see. I think the reality is that the temptation for us is to actually think and believe and live as if there are times in our lives when God's promises are on pause. Or they've been thwarted or overthrown. And what this story is telling us is that all of life is lived under and in light of God's promises all the time. There is no expiration date. And they never fail. And the temptation is going to be and always is to think, along with Sarah, that we need to look at God's promises through our circumstances. Rather than looking at our circumstances... Through God's promises. That is a huge difference. A huge difference. And what happens when we do this? When we begin to strategize rather than trusting? Well, let's look at Sarah and Abraham and Hagar. But all three of them illustrate for us the inner workings of the human heart. In the midst of this temptation... Look in verse 4. Abraham goes into Hagar and she conceives. She becomes pregnant. And then what happens? When she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, on Sarai. Pride begins to, to bubble up. Hagar here begins to see herself as better than Sarai, as superior to her. She begins to condescend down on Sarai to look down on her she thinks she's better than Sarai but then take Sarah in verse 5 Sarah said to Abram may the wrong done to me be on you okay this was her idea and now it's not going so well and she wants Abram to feel the humiliation and the breakdown of the situation she blames him. She says, may with the wrong be done to me beyond you. I gave you my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. There's blame shifting. There's division. Abram's and, and Sarai's marriage is being rent asunder. But then take Abram. How might he respond? In verse 6, in response to Sarai, it says, but Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power, do to her as you please. And Sarah deals harshly with her. And Hagar runs off and flees. And Abram, as is sometimes typical, he's indifferent. He pleads neutrality. It's not my problem. He abdicates. He doesn't step in and intervene And work for peace and reconciliation and restoration in his home. You see, in all of these instances, these are evidence, these are clues of what it begins to happen when we strategize rather than trust. When our hopes that are not yet fulfilled end up breeding sickness in the heart. And all three of these characters then are exposed and their need for grace is made abundantly clear. And again, I just, I just want to highlight the Bible is full of people like this. The Bible is not a book of moral heroes, but of moral failures. And that's really good news. Because... Each one of us are a, is a moral failure. That means we can find ourselves in this story and experience what does Paul means when he says that God preached the good news beforehand, that there's good news in the story for you and me, and it is found in the idea of the God who sees. So let's look at, lastly here, in verses 17 to 16, what does it mean that God sees us? Here in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her, that is Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Now, what I want you to notice, of these characters in this story that is just unraveling at ever-increasing speed, who is it that God pursues? He pursues the Egyptian maidservant. Who would you think He would pursue based on the story so far. If you ask me that question, I would think he'd be coming to speak to and pursue Abram, the one to whom God has made this promise through whom to bless the nations. But what is so ironic and unexpected is that God goes after this woman from Egypt who is a maidservant who's been mistreated. And is fleeing from her home. And in fact, you don't really need to know where Shur is, as it's here in uh, verse 7. But Shur is on the way to Egypt. Where is Hagar going? She's headed back to Egypt. Now remember, who were the first people to read this, to hear this? It was God's people on their way to the promised land after 400 years of Egypt. And if you know anything about that story, their biggest struggle is the desire to go back to Egypt. And what do you see God doing in the story? Pursuing people who want to run from his promise and blessing back to Egypt, the place of slavery and bondage. Now, what's really amazing about this is that in verse 8, when here the angel of the Lord says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? This is the only known instance in all of ancient Near Eastern literature, including all of the Bible, where God addresses a woman by name. And it's Hagar, an Egyptian maidservant. But not only that, in verse 13, after the angel of the Lord uh, corrects her and sends her back to Abram and to Sarai and promises uh, to uh, cause her children to flourish. In verse 13, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. Now, this is the only time in the Bible where a human being is represented as giving a name to God. And the name that Hagar gives to God is, you are a God of seeing. Now, think for a moment again, where are we in this story? This is a story of frustrated hopes. Are you here this morning and you are frustrated Life has not turned out as you would like, or you're afraid it won't. And you're wondering Does this God really see me? This story is for you. It's a story that tells us that God finds us and sees us in our running, in the opposite direction. He finds us and sees us in our sin, in our pride, in our defiance in our frustrated hopes. And how does he do this exactly? Well, as we see in this story, he comes to Hagar in the angel of the Lord. An angel in the Bible is is also messenger of the Lord. And as we make our way through the Scriptures, God again and again comes to his people by means of a messenger. But it's not until in the New Testament that The messenger, capital T-H-E, messenger. Jesus arrives on the scene. This is not an angel. He's not just a good teacher. He is God in the flesh. Come, the God who sees. Come to live and walk and breathe like you and I do. And he comes to you and he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a story not of the righteous, but of sinners. And God sees. He comes in Jesus. And it's not only that he comes and he sees and he makes these promises. But he also, Jesus, as the messenger of God... He is the one who came to cling to God's promises, to trust and to rest in God's promises, no matter where that would lead. So that in the night when he was betrayed, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane in anguish says to his father, remove this cup from me. He says, if there's any other way, let's do that. But then he says, not my will, Your will be done. Now, let me try to wrap this up by asking this question How can you trust God in any circumstance? And I have to admit, I feel kind of like a platitude uh, preacher asking that question. Uh, But I have to ask it, and I want us to think about that. How can you trust God in any circumstance? The first way, the first way to get there is you have to admit that you can't and Jesus had to for you. You see, this is the only way that we can see the difference between strategizing and trusting in our in ourselves. Admitting that you can't trust God's promises and that you won't. That is the first step, believe it or not, to beginning to actually be able to trust God in all of your circumstances. Now, why is that? Because you have to forsake and genuinely believe there is no other way to live than under God's promises. That is an absolute non-negotiable and the good news of the Bible. Now that may be hard because it can feel like God is holding out on you. How do you think Sarah and Abram felt? They've been in the land 10 years. God made these promises. God gave them this land. God has said, I'm going to make Abram your descendants like the stars in the sky and they have no children. But do you know what the cross of Jesus tells you? The cross of Jesus tells us that God, not sparing his own son, because he did not withhold his own son, how will he not with him give you all things? What the cross tells you is that when you find yourself in Sarah's situation with your frustrated hopes, wondering, will God ever come through? That is a lie. The cross of Jesus tells you God is not holding out on you. So then what is he doing? Well, think of it like this. That every circumstance in your life, therefore, becomes an opportunity to experience and know the God who sees you. In order to turn you back to his promises. Now, I am not a fan of trying to explain why you or someone else or myself even, why God allows certain kinds of suffering and hardship into your life. I don't know why God does that. But I do know God is at work in it and through it. And one of the ways He is at work in it and through it is in order to turn us back to Him, to His promises. To heal the sickness in our hearts. Let me finish by this with this. Uh, these words from Isaiah chapter 30. This is God saying, You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying this is the way walk in it when you turn to the right when you turn to the left and the good news of the gospel is that, that teacher has come Jesus god in the flesh the god who sees the one you would least expect him to see And what you need to understand is that that's you. That you and I fit that bill. There's nothing in us that would recommend us to God. We are the one who you'd least expect. And believing that is the first step to experiencing the power of a relationship with the God who sees. No matter what's going on in your life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this story, uh, this story of frustrated hopes uh, for the realities that we see in it, that uh, though we are removed by time and culture, um, I really aren't all that different. And we give you thanks that there's good news here that brings us to Jesus, who is the good news for us. And so we ask that you would help us to discover how you see us through Jesus, our Redeemer, our righteousness, our sanctification. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.